Welcome to uh, my home. I thought that I would move uh, the service um, into our home as a reflection of how you're celebrating worship this morning as well and into our celebration of Christmas. So welcome to the uh, Halstead Homestead. So as we continue uh, in our worship and our celebration of Advent, um, we want to focus on the theme this week of love, that it's God's love that has moved God to act on our behalf. You know, John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that God gave God's only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. And that understanding that it's God's love that moved God to act is what we're talking about today. That God's actions are motivated from the purity of wanting to express love toward us. A love that God didn't necessarily have to have, but that God does have for you and me. And it moves God to act in a way that saves, rescues, restores, that, that we experience this shalom of having our lives complete and full. God so loved you and me that Christ came. And so week one, we celebrated focusing on hope. And God gave three signs. You'll find a babe, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes or rags, lying in a manger. That you'll find these three things, and these three things that don't look like anything special are the tremendous sign that this activity, this action of God is beginning. Last week we celebrated peace or the faith candle. And we talked about that, that, it, that God has given us God's peace and that we can have peace in knowing that God who began a good work in us, God's able to fulfill it. We can have peace and we don't have to worry about the rudiments of how we're going to do each thing, but that God's plans are for us are for good and that God is working it out. And we can relax into God's plan, trusting that God will have the markers there for us and the directions that we, we need to take, that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in our lives. And we can trust that we will get nudged and the Lord will get a word to us, a direction to us. A stranger will come and say something to us that will help us on our way, just as God was able to raise up Jesus and direct Jesus, direct Mary and Joseph and having Jesus, directing them and going to Egypt and coming back, we can have peace because God is faithful. And again, we celebrate this week the love of God, the understanding that it's love that motivates us. So join me in our scripture reading for this Advent day. I've already shared the one scripture, John 3:16. But let's read in Scripture, Luke 2, verses 15 through 20, as we continue in our Christmas story. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem 
and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so the angels were in the field. I mean, the shepherds were in the field and the angels came and said and gave them their, their statement that God had come. Glory to God in the highest, you know, because Jesus had come. And so after the angels finished speaking, the shepherds said, let's go and see about this. Verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger, just like they said. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So God confirming what God was doing. Again, motivated through love, we celebrate this week the love candle. So if you will prepare and join me with your families in the lighting of the love candle. Again, we started off with our candle of hope. Last week we lighted the peace or faith candle. And today we light the love candle, recognizing that God, for God so loved you and I, God was moved to act, to enter into God's creation to rescue us. Please join me as uh, we share a prayer together, a prayer of love and a request for increased compassion. Dear God, lover of our souls, thank you for your deep love towards us. Thank you for the love that moved you to enter your creation by sending the Son to be Savior of the world. We offer you praise for the shower of unconditional love we have received from you. Community, to you, God, we offer our praise. Lord, you desire all your children to love others as Christ loved us, but at times our love is weak and is far removed from all you desire of us. Show us what is keeping us individually and collectively from loving our neighbors as ourselves so we can confess it and seek healing. We desire to be conduits for Christ's love so it will string from us to others. Lord, hear our prayer. Help us to demonstrate your love. Help us to love those easy to love and those not so easy to love. Help us to forgive those who have lashed out at us in pain or anger, disappointment or loss. And forgive us when we have lashed out in pain or anger, disappointment or loss, so we can all manifest your love. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, some of us have been hurt deeply by people we thought truly loved us. They have caused deep pain and have left our emotions in tatters. 
Our hearts have been broken and we find it difficult to come to terms with what has happened. Lord, please heal our hearts and help us be open to share love with others again. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, some of us have caused deep hurt in those we love, and our actions have left them broken and confused. Lord, please heal them and heal the broken places in us that cause us to act in such damaging ways. Help us to think before we speak and to consider the impact of our actions and our responses on others. Lord, hear our prayer. Members of our families, our friends, our country and its leaders have disappointed us and let us down throughout this election season and afterwards. Help us to forgive them. Help them to forgive our disappointing them. Please send your comfort and strength into each of our souls to enable us to envision positive futures for all the citizens and guests of our nation and our world. We cannot do this in our own strength. We need yours. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray that the body of Christ might become united as one and abound in the unity of the spirit more and more as our love for one another grows. Grant us clarity in our understanding of the scriptures and wisdom to live them out in our lives. Lord, hear our prayer. And together, we pray that Mosaic Community Church be united in spirit and purpose. Help us to embrace humility as we seek to make the needs of others as important as our own. Teach us to love, that love is a precious union of hearts and a sweet communion of spirits. We desire to live life together. Teach our church what living life together looks like and what it truly means. We need you to enable us to live in community. We thank you for the depth of your love towards us. May it guide how we love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.
It's because of God's love, God's abounding commitment to us, God's hesed, meaning God's compassion that chases us down and takes us over. That kind of love. It's because of love that I can say to you, don't frown on small beginnings or new beginnings or beginning over. God's love has you and me covered. You know, I could easily be, uh, you could easily be put off by those words when, when talking about God's love. I know that all kinds of people who've done or are doing all kinds of things, you know, they turn around and say, you know, that the evil they are doing is because of God, you know, and somehow some flipped inverted craziness about God's love that makes them, you know, dehumanize other people. Um, there were times when I was a younger Christian that I, you know, I was marked by legalism that made me feel I had a right to declare, you know, who was right and who was wrong, or who was in with God and who was out with God. There was a, a part of me, there's a part of me that wants to be ashamed of who I was and how I thought about things. And there's another part of me that wants to blame the church, you know, that, that I'm, I, was, I thought that way because I was raised in church is that made me feel or think that way. But, you know, God has called me to, to know God for myself. And so I had to take responsibility. I had to grow up. Um, and I wanted to, and I do want to, continue to grow in my understanding of love. The triune God has promised that, that when we diligently seek God, that we'll receive the rewards that come from that diligence. And the best reward of all is coming to know God. And I can testify that as I've loosened my grip on being right, as I confess that I know so very little uh, and how I, you know, when, when I confess that I know so very little and that things didn't make sense to me, and I let loose that grip of, you know, being right, God was able to step in and show me, reveal some truths to me, some truths that have literally set me free from the bondage of that legalism and arrogance and self-righteousness. Um, and I thought that way as a Christian, you know, and acted out as a Christian, which is probably why I stopped, you know, I don't like calling myself a Christian. Now I prefer to say I'm a follower of Christ. I feel like calling myself a Christian opened a door for me to, to do that Christian nonsense that was a part of hurting people. And that not using that words and now using follower of Christ means I have to act like Jesus. And if those aren't the kinds of things that Jesus did, I shouldn't be doing them. And so God has brought me to a deeper, better understanding of love. Um, I thought in ways that condemned, I thought in ways that condemned others and in ways that condemned myself. And Christianity became to me about avoiding condemnation or escaping feeling the condemnation by focusing on con condemning others. It was uh, for me the at least I'm not game, game, you know? The at least I'm not, you know, you and I may play it, 
We all play it to some extent where we can say, at least I'm not black, at least I'm not white, at least I'm not gay, at least I'm not a woman, at least I'm not a selfish man, at least I'm not poor, at least I don't live in a hood, at least I'm, no, I'm not hanging in the streets, at least I'm not promiscuous, at least I don't, I didn't have kids before marriage, at least I'm taking care of my kids, at least I'm not like my daddy or at least I'm not like my mother, at least I'm not skipping out on work and not taking care of my family, at least I'm not beating my spouse, like that's a thing. Or at least I'm not, you know, like people in the world. Whatever it is of the at least I'm not game. I played it in a way that um, demonstrated uh, that there were people who needed Jesus a whole lot more than I did. And that uh, I was somehow, you know, anointed, appointed to help them. And then I felt funky about the folks who who were higher than me on my, you know, condemnation scale and they needed to help me. You know, all of that stuff being just nonsense and foolishness. Um, all I wanted to be is not at the bottom, to be the worst person, you know. I needed some help. Thank God I got some. Amen. I reconnected with words that I'd known since before I really came to faith in Jesus. Many of us know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that God gave her only begotten son, that whosoever believed in Jesus or him would not perish but have eternal life. That's a really cool verse. I love the verse. God loved so much that God entered God's creation. I can't get past that. To rescue us, to save us, means rescue. Uh, it means to restore, to fulfill, to reset. It means all of those things, shalom, so that we exist in a state where we're not missing things that we need, nothing missing, nothing lost. Um, and it was love, for God so loved, that drove God to do that. So love is key. But there was something about love I missed that allowed me to play those kinds of games, to be somebody that, you know, makes me sad when I think about it. The thing I missed was this. Love doesn't condemn. Love doesn't condemn. It's like angel... How do you know that? Where do you get that stuff from? You know, we used to say things like love the sinner, hate the sin. No, just love people. Love doesn't condemn. I know this because of the next two verses, which I think we should have memorized right along with John 3.16. We need to know John 17 and John 18. John 17 says, For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he or she, because you and me, have not believed in the name of the only, the one and only Son of God. It's a freeing verse. I don't have to 
to, to feel and be condemned. And yet I lived in a way, I understood in a way that made me feel like I had, there was a ladder of condemnation that I was moving up from. The better I got, the better I behaved, you know, the higher I was up. And I was a better than all the people who were below me. God says, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. I just need to be clear again. Jesus didn't and isn't condemning anybody. And if Jesus isn't condemning anybody, you and I shouldn't be either. We should be like Jesus, loving people. Now, if we understand the section of scripture that these words are found in, we know that they are encased in the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a teacher of Israel. And the story is found again in John 3, but verses 1 through 21. Nick comes to Jesus by night and says, you know, there's something special about you. Nobody can do the things you do unless God's with them. And uh, Jesus' response was, Nick, if you want to do the things I'm doing, if you want the specialness in your life, you got to be born again. Now, Nick wasn't just some old teacher. Nick was a Pharisee, a learned man. And Jesus is talking to this learned man, and he says to him, you need a do-over. You need a new beginning. You got to start over. And the reference to being small again also infers that you need to start small. You need to let go of a bunch of stuff and get small and begin again. And Nick is like, look, what are you talking about? You know, he's taking the words being born again too literally. He says, you know, I can't get back into my mother's womb. And I know Jesus wants to smack him upside the head. That's my thought. That is not in scripture. But sometimes I think people say stuff in scripture and you're just like, stop it. But anyway, um, he says, you know, you can't, I can't go back into my mother's womb. And he's like, Nick, no, no, no. What I'm saying is this. It's a spiritual rebirth. Now, you as a teacher, if you don't get this, man, what are we supposed to do? There are deeper things I want to teach you while I'm still here on the earth. You got to get this. Nicholas, it's like, Nicodemus, you got to let go of what you, who you think you are, what you think is important, what you think about other people. You got to start over and I'm going to teach you some things that are amazing, are truly amazing before I leave this place. You see, light, because I'm here, light has come. But the truth is, humanity loves darkness. So I need people who want to live by the truth and come to the light so people can see and know that they're living through God. Love doesn't condemn. But even in the story that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, this conversation that's happening with the sent Jesus to Nicodemus is you need to be born again. And what love does, as we see through this example is issue an invitation. Be born again, start over, have a small beginning. They're all, it's invitation with promise. Now one of the things I grew up, when, grew up with uh, in, in church, in black church, 
was the saying of, you know, that God is a God of second chances. Love it. People applauded it, all kinds of stuff. But the truth is, when you hear that, you know, that God is the God of second chances, there's a part of me, I don't want to talk about y'all, part of me that says, you know what? If I was a better person, I wouldn't need a second chance. If I was more disciplined, I wouldn't need a second chance. If I uh, understood the scripture a little bit better, I wouldn't need a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance. And so while I'm performative in my gratitude that I do get those chances, there's a part of me that somehow finds the second chance inferior to the first. And this scripture is teaching me something. It's taught me something that uh, is contrary to that. You see, the realization is that God is always issuing us invitations. Invitations to start again. Invitations to be renewed in our minds. Invitations. So we have the initial invitation to be born again and come to the saving knowledge of Christ. But love, love is continuing to invite us to let go of garbage, let go of all that stuff that weighs us down so we can get small and grow again. You know, coming to Mosaic was a time of new beginnings for me. And I want to, you know, I get an attitude about new beginnings. And I think, you know, in some ways we all have this attitude. You know, you're a new beginning, but you want to show your, you know, your, 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 your professionalism. You want to show how good you are. You want to be good at doing things. You want people to think you're good at doing things. I, I, I'm as arrogant as the next person. So, you know, I, I wanted to rush down the road um, and skip some steps, you know. I wanted to grab a hold of the low-hanging fruit of accomplishments uh, that I could achieve at the church. And, you know, there were some good reasons, like, because they're good and bad and everything, right? I wanted to do it in, in some ways that helped move us forward and maintain forward momentum. But there was also a part of me that wanted the 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 sense of accomplishment and to feel good about myself as a pastor and uh, I thought a part of me thought the more I could get accomplished the more we could move along and the better it would be and uh, I'm reminded again again in this scripture that there are things in life that make starting from the beginning that make taking the time needed or receiving the time given in a new beginning, so very important. It's important to take the time to establish myself, yourselves, and to grow in wisdom, to grow in stature. It's critical to, to development. It was critical to Christ's development. He had to start at square one and enter each phase of life and stay there and grow. Starting over makes us reduce ourselves. Being born again, coming to God with nothing again so God can give us everything we need. God has already placed in earth, in the earth, everything that we need. And so there's also the growing and understanding that we have to trust God to supply it, just like Jesus had to trust God. He came to the world with nothing and God gave him everything he needed to fulfill his destiny. We have to guard our hearts 
in the new beginning so we can develop new responses. Starting over is not a punishment. You haven't been good enough. And that's why that, that God of second chances, the consolation. No, it's not a punishment. It's an opportunity. It's an invitation to go deeper. It's an opportunity for us to let go of that religious, like this religious CO2 that's a part of the mix of the religious air and the religious pollution that we've been breathing all our lives. Like Nicodemus, we need to be open to God's love and what God's love is inviting us to be born again, uh, being taught from a different perspective of, about what God's word has to say about the human condition. It means being open to things like the Bible again. You know, if we tell the truth, a lot of us don't read scripture anymore. Um, it's unfortunate. For, for many of us, the Bible has been used in such uh, crass and harmful ways to say incredible junk, you know? Uh, for years, the Bible was used to teach that dark-complected people were cursed by God, and so they shouldn't expect anything. That's why we're, you could be we're slaves and, and uh, at the bottom rung of life and treat it like nothing. Not true. The Bible was used to teach that women couldn't lead churches, that your gifts had needed to be suppressed because God didn't really, he gave you the gift, but he doesn't really want you to use it. Foolishness. The scripture has been used to say that uh, there's no place for, for gay people, no place for, uh, heart, you know, all kinds of nonsense. And because of that, many of us have found that this book I'll put my hand over here, put my Bibles over here. This book is not a book we can trust anymore. And we need a do-over with the Word of God so we can let go of the junk that has weighed down our going to this book um, and reading it so it can become a, a something that we can use in our study and be a source of trust and comfort for us. Um, and I, so I need you to listen to what I'm about to say just carefully. Just hear me, please, when I say this. I don't idolize the Bible. I don't make it an idol. I don't make it God. The Bible itself tells me that it's not the Bible or the, this book that's going to lead me into all truth. That's the Spirit's job. I depend on the Spirit of the living God to interpret the Bible. I've learned that that's the order of things. I'm supposed to approach the scripture in and from and through my relationship with the spirit. You see, I have a relationship with the living spirit of God. I have a relationship with the living word of God, Jesus. And it's in those relationships that I'm, I'm able to understand these words that God has spoken about the human conditions that are represented in this Bible. So you and I can take the Bible with us in the presence of God and say, you know, and, and, and ask God to explain things we don't get, things that don't make sense to us, things that we don't understand. It's important, you know? And though uh, this thing about the Bible is a minor point to the major point that we're getting invitations. God is issuing invitations to us that help us shrink from the gunk and grow into a deeper relationship, a deeper understanding. The main point of my sermon is simply this, don't frown on the invitation to start over, to start small, to begin again. 
it's not a punishment. It's not because you're not good enough. It is because you are just that good enough and that God knows how much more is in you, that God calls us to new beginnings. It's like a pruning so we can grow all the more. Don't frown on the invitation. Don't despise it. You and I will face many times in the course of our lives where it feels like we're starting over. Um, maybe for some of you, it feels like even the church right now is in that place of starting over. New pastor, pandemic, you know, it seems like, you know, we're just kind of spinning our wheels. It's okay. I'm not going to despise this period of time. I'm going to embrace it. I pray you embrace it. You know, it's that maybe it's just God saying we need a longer time of transition. Uh, so taking hold of the time that's been given us is, 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 is important. And knowing that God will do so much with our yielded hearts when we receive the invitation. And it's very important for us to not focus on what we lose when we are born again, when we get small again, so we can start a new area of life, start in a new way of thinking. Don't worry about the loss. There's a scripture in Zechariah 4.10 where I get the don't despise. There's a question uh, for, you know, why would you despise the small beginning um, in verse 10. Um, that chapter, uh, first portion of the chapter, fourth chapter of Zechariah, talks about some interesting things. Zechariah's having a vision and an angel kind of wakes him and it's an open-eyed vision. And Zechariah, uh, the angel asked Zechariah, what do you see? And Zechariah tells him, I see a, a golden uh, lampstand. And on this lampstand is a bowl and there are seven lights on it and the lights have channels or tubes that allow the oil that's in the bowl to flow to keep the lights burning. And there are two trees, there are two olive trees that supply a perpetual or, or eternal amount of oil to keep the bowl filled up so the light can stay shining. And, you know, Zachariah sees it and he's like, well, but I don't understand what this means. And the angel says, listen, this is a message for you to give to the governor, uh, Zerubbabel. I, I love those names. Um, give this message to him. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Um, the temple at that time was being, um, the rebuilding of the temple had stopped. So the, the governor is encouraging people to resume the building of the temple. Now for a lot of people, they were struggling because, you know, the temple that they were building wasn't as grand as Solomon's temple. You know, David took the years of his being king to collect the finest uh, supplies from all over the earth for that temple that's, that Solomon was allowed to build. And they were building something that wasn't as grand and wasn't as beautiful. For many of them, it felt like such a loss, you know. Um, it felt like they had lost so much um, and that this new temple was reflecting the loss of their stature, stature as the nation of Israel. And God is telling them, no, no, you don't get this. Um, so in, in explaining what this meant to, uh, to Zechariah, 
the explanation is, is simply this. Even though this temple looks smaller and it doesn't look as grand, it's, things aren't always as they appear. Inside of this temple is the same thing that was inside that grand appearing temple because that lampstand represents the presence of God, the spirit of the living God. And what is most important, God was trying to tell those who are rebuilding the temple, is the presence of God. And that, you know, it may not look like everything is okay. It may look like your life is shrunk. It may look like things are less than. But you have everything you need because that same spirit who brooded over the face of the deep in Genesis 1 and then God said and that spirit was able to make it happen, that same spirit was alive in that, in that, that rebuilt temple that would, would allow them to come back and build again. And that same spirit was alive in causing Mary to become pregnant and give birth to Jesus. And that same spirit came and dwelt in Jesus uh, when he was baptized and Jesus ascended in heaven so that same spirit could come and dwell in you and I. And so you and I don't have to be afraid of small beginnings, of letting go of all the stuff that holds us down, the things that, um, that weigh us down because we perceive them wrong or we understood them wrong. We can let it go and that spirit will give us understanding will lead us and teach us truth that allow us to move from this state of being small into the new grandeur, the new awareness, the new purpose, the new direction that God has for us in our individual life, in our life as a church, and in the presence of God's God through God's people in all the earth. Things are not always as they appear, so don't frown on the new beginning. Things are not always as they have appeared, so don't frown on the scripture. There's another way of coming and approaching the scripture and understanding it. Things are not always what they appear to be. New beginnings are not punishments. They are opportunities for us to grow. Now, if something uh, that I've said today has resonated with you, um, if you want to receive this invitation, maybe to know Jesus and become a follower of Christ for the first time, I want you to contact me. I want you to contact me in the chat or you can say, hey, angel, something you said resonated with me. Um, you can do it in the chat. You can do it uh, as a prayer request. You can email me, angel at mosaicphiladelphia.org and say something resonated with me. I want to be that follower, a follower of Christ. If something resonated with you, um, from what I said about studying the scripture and being able to reimagine the scripture or reimagining the church, just write me. Find some way to contact us and say, that resonated. That's me. I need a start over. I receive the do-over. I recognize it as an invitation for something new in my life, uh, for something new in the church, uh, to be inspired again, to see clearly again to enjoy my life with God to, to to be able to let the weight of all the church gunk all the reasons I've hated junk church to let it go and have a new relationship with the church to have a new relationship with God I want you to write me 
because God is offering, is extending new invitations, new opportunities for you and I to go deeper, to learn more, to change direction. Will you receive that invitation? I'm taking them up on it. Amen. Thanks for joining with us in service today. I just have a few, just a few quick announcements for us um, about our services. Next week we're going to have our regular service at 10, p, uh, 10 a.m. where we will uh, have our last Advent service and um, uh, talk about joy as our theme. Um, so that service is at 10 a.m. on the 20th. Then the same day, December 20th at 4 p.m., we will have our, um, our candlelight Christmas pageant service, our Christmas service. And that service will air at 4 p.m. on our website, but then it's going to come back and air again at 7 p.m. on the same day because we want people to catch it. And we also thought that we would air it again on Christmas Eve. Uh, and that you might use it as an opportunity for your family members across the country to see the kids, um, to bring your family together as you share the Christmas story um, on Christmas Eve. And so, again, our Christmas service will air on December 20th at 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. And then again on Christmas Eve, December 27th at 7 p.m. We hope you enjoy it. Um, on December 21st, uh, we were having our service of uh, the longest night. Um, and so it is an opportunity for us to go before the Lord um, on the longest night with some of the, the, the issues that have 
um, been heavy in our hearts and on our souls. It's been a long year. I mean, it's still just had 365 days, but many of those days have been heavy with um, not only the pandemic, but the losses that we have experienced, whether as a result of the, the, uh, the pandemic or for other reasons, and whether they were losses of people we love or the loss of employment, the loss of um, all kinds of things, relationships that happened in the course of this year. We want you to know that God is sensitive, that God cares, that God wants to touch you in a special way. And so we have this special night where we go before the Lord for comfort, for encouragement, for support, for healing, and the longest night service. And so we extend this invitation to you to join us at uh, 7.30 on December 21st for the longest night service. Um, and then lastly, I just wanna share a little bit about um, how we're doing as a congregation um, financially. Uh, over the last uh, two and a half months, um, what we are receiving in terms of tithes and offerings has gone down a bit. We are falling about uh, $2,500 to $3,000 short each month on uh, what we budgeted. And so we want to make the church aware that um, we still have money in reserve and you know God has still been good to us. We're still managing things. We've managed to cut back. But as our thoughts are turning toward reopening the church, it's going to be important that we meet that shortfall um, with reopening so we can renew the programs that we had going on, especially our programs for kids. So that if for some reason you haven't been able to give or, um, I don't know, um, if God places a burden on your heart to give, we just want to make you aware of where we are. Um, I'm grateful as ever that we have been able to uh, survive this pandemic. We have not met as a congregation face to face for what nine or ten months of the year ten and a half, uh, nine and a half months this year and it's just tremendous the gift that God has given us that we can still call ourselves a community of faith um, and that's because of you because of your love for each other your willingness um, to be committed and the recognition again that God has something uh, wonderful in store that God's plans for us are good and for hope and peace and love and that God gives us great joy in our life together. So I want you to be blessed in the course of this week. I want you to be safe because this pandemic is real and it's serious. So please wear your mask when you're out and about. Keep washing your hands and using all that wonderful hand sanitizer. Um, and let's keep each other safe. Um, I'll see you next week. God bless. And here are some thoughts on love to carry you into your week. When my kids were little, we used to pile into the car around Christmas time to take a tour of the lights around our neighborhood. We poured hot chocolate into thermoses and grabbed our favorite Christmas music. At a top speed of about five miles per hour, we rolled by homes that lit up the sky like the northern lights. 
We always loved the nativity scenes. It's not every day you get to see baby Jesus in a front yard, so we delighted in the season that put him front and center. After the tour, we always had a family chat about what it meant to show Jesus to people at Christmas time. Sure, he made an appearance in our Christmas pageants and decorations, but we knew decorations didn't start to tell the story. We knew the way to show Jesus to people was to love the way he loved. When he went away, he said he was leaving his spirit with us so we could become like him and act like him. It means we can love people who are excluded and alone during the holidays. It means we can love people who don't love us back, the ones who seem to find joy in antagonizing us. The way we love difficult people lets everyone know the baby in the manger isn't just a decoration. When we look for opportunities to celebrate people who have wronged us, we show people a God who gave his life for those who wouldn't receive him. Who is on your list of those difficult to love this year?